back, guys. Thanks for tuning in this week. You're back here with me, Nick, and I'm joined by my buddy, Ronnie. I hear you made it narrowly out of a thunderstorm this morning, Ronald. No, I did not make it out of the thunderstorm. I was in the middle of it and waiting on the side of the golf course, waiting for this lightning siren to go off, but they don't have that in the Northwest province. They don't, eh? Yeah, it's because they make people tough there. You know, it's not like the low fault. Did you actually manage to get through your game of golf or did it get called off immediately or eventually? No, like I said, don't get called off. They don't have a siren, so I'm sure that they're going to in for one hell of a shock one day. We we kind of went out till the 13th hole, and then we just got stuck under a tree, which is not the best place to sit during a thunderstorm. And Yeah, that's chaos. kind of like chaos. against everything we're taught in LO, sit under the tree. <laughs> yeah, well, it was that or like drown from how much water was coming down from the skies. And uh, the guys were still debating whether we should play on. And eventually when, you know, we had to use our pitching wedges on the on the green, it just didn't make sense anymore. Well, while Ronnie was stuck under a tree, don't get stuck with your pants around your knees. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Guys, this November, it matters how you package your package. So yeah, Ronnie, we had an eventful weekend, lots of international rugby on. You know, it was a bit touch and go for us watching it because we had a big power outage here in Pretoria. So running the one UPS, saving the other, making sure we had backup for the Bok game required quite a bit of management. ESCOM Sapush needs to to branch out a little bit to help us manage those situations too. Also, um, ESCOM Sapush. Yeah, you said it there. Quite frustrating with all this load shedding. I'm waiting for us to be told again that the coal got wet. But on that note, some powerful performances this weekend. Let's start with the first one. Tonga 39, Chile 10. I think everyone saw a victory coming for Tonga there. Nothing too surprising for me. I did not get to watch that one, however. I saw the win uh, for Tonga. I didn't see a, a blowout like the one that they had. I thought, you know... Look, they had a convincing performance against Spain, but I thought Chile would put up a bit of a, a better fight. But yeah, look, nice to see the island nation, uh, mighty island nation of Tonga, step it up like that. Probably the big upset of the weekend, 28-27, Italy beating the Wallabies. First time ever victory for the Italians. What did you think of that? How one, satisfying how, how satisfying was that win for you? I was very chuffed with that win. Hey, you know, obviously I want to see the Southern Hemisphere win the tests and, and whatnot, but it was nice to see Italy get that one. And I think it's good for a team that's really been on the back end of a lot of flack in the Six Nations and, and all of that for them to now come and say, well, hold on, we're putting new structures in place. We're getting our shit together. And here we go. We're going to beat the Wallabies now. Well, the Wallabies can now join the likes of South Africa and and and... Uh, Wales in the club of surprise upsets against Italy. So this at least true. I don't feel so bad being a Springboks fan anymore. You know, Italy, well done. You guys are deserving. And they they pulled it off. It was a good game, though. It wasn't just, you can't say that the Wallaby, Wallabies uh, didn't try. And Italy yeah. just played really well. Italy did. I mean, how brilliant was their fullback, Kapuoso? Um, he's tiny, that little fellow. But yo, he can hit a line. Hey? And he brought some real flair to that attack of the Italians. But, I mean, has Italy turned the corner now? No, it's one game. It's not enough to say something like that. But I suppose turning sure. the corner for Italy is also a little bit different to turning corner for the other teams. But it would be nice to see them starting to notch up a couple of good wins here and there again. And then Ireland 35-17 Fiji. Uh, Ireland a bit disjointed in that performance. Fiji playing quite well, except their discipline letting them down quite horribly in that one. And ultimately, I don't think anyone expected sort of any different in the score. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly what we predicted. We got the margin point for it. I think a lot of many in our group got the margin point for that win. Um, I think it went as expected. But yeah, let's let's hope Fiji can step things up the remaining games. And then Georgia Samoa, Georgia narrowly going down 2019 to Manu Samoa. A uh, very, very close game. Would have been nice to see the Georgians pip one there. You know, they're also a team fighting for inclusion in the Six Nations, climbing up nicely ahead of the World Cup, but not to be for them on this night, eh? Yeah, good game to watch as a neutral. I mean, you always try and look out for these games as a neutral, uh, going into a weekend full of rugby. You know, what are the games to watch out? What are the evenly matched teams? Uh, and I thought Samoa Georgia was going to be a great matchup, and it, 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 it proved to be so. Yeah, it really, really was a fantastic matchup. I'm quite fond of the Georgian team. I know we spoke recently about Mamukuko Godze, but in general, they're just a team that's that's on the rise. And for a small nation, they really are doing quite well. Then looking to our, our neighbours over here, Namibia, unfortunately, going down 34-15 to Spain. Not the most ideal test for the, the Namibians. A little bit disappointing, right? Because like you say, they are our neighbours. and we, we are desperately looking for a second African team that can you know perform on the world stage. Yeah, so a little bit disappointing. That's well, good for Spain, right? Obviously, they've had some setbacks, being you know kicked out of the World Cup uh, qualifications, and then yeah, well, we just hope that Namibia can you know get get enough practice in before the World Cup starts next year and put on a couple of good shows. And then a surprising result for me, I'd actually back Japan to win on Super Brew. Maybe a bit of a, an audacious pick on my end, but definitely not the scoreline we saw here where they lost 52-13 to Eddie Jones's England. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, five years ago, no, maybe not five years ago, 10 years ago, we would have expect, uh, expected a, a scoreline like this over Japan, possibly even bigger. And over the recent years, Japan's obviously, they, I mean, they beat us. They beat the Springboks, right? So they beat uh, um, Ireland as well. And uh, I think they were hunting for a third big skull. Um, and this was going to be, this This could have been it. And, and you rightfully picked Japan. And I don't think that would have been the worst call. I think I said it last week's podcast, if you're going to call an upset, that's probably the game where you could do that. Um, you know, Italy proved us otherwise. But uh, yeah, I didn't expect such a dominant performance from England over Japan especially because Japan's been performing really well over recent years. Uh, a little bit disappointing for them, but I'm sure they'll take a lot of learnings out of it. Yeah, I think Japan, you know, seven point loss to the All Blacks gave us a bit of confidence in what they would bring to this fixture. Unfortunately, they just didn't pitch for the test. You know, the England hard-hitting lines really took the wind out of Japan's sails. They were a little bit rattled in their back three, knocking on a couple of balls there. But one thing from this England performance even though it was a big win it proved that Maru Etoje is not a loose forward he is out of his depth there and it just it wasn't a good look it it's not you can't play one of the world's best locks at flank it just it would be like putting Eb in there it didn't work for me I thought Sam Simmons also had a very good game but I think the burying moment for the Japanese side was when Manito Lagi was inserted late into the contest he just brought a whole other level of physicality that the Japanese side couldn't counter, even with a couple of South Africans in their ranks. I would like to disagree with you, but uh, I think I suppose that's a conversation for another day. I firmly believe that putting yeah, the likes of Yemen or even Maro Torje, some of these uh, big units, these big lock units of flank, doesn't really uh, make a difference. You know, you're just adding some sort of uh, physical, defensive, and dominant running uh, flank. You know that's that's what they that's what they bring to the table. They might not be fetches, but I don't think that that's a problem. But that can be a conversation we can save for a later date. 
I'm just going to sign off that conversation by saying there's positions on a rugby field for a reason. Then Wales 20, Argentina 13. I know I backed Argentina for a win here. I thought Los Pumas were going to do it. They beat England previously and quite surprised to see Wales get the win. I wouldn't be surprised. It's one score, right? So they Wales beat Argentina by one score. Seven points, if my maths were correct. Um, and they had the home field advantage, right? So, so Argentina come off a great performance against England the week before, which I thought... Uh, is what lit the fire under England against Japan. But look, Argentina comes along. Uh, maybe they got a little bit complacent. Maybe they thought, oh, we beat England. We're going to beat Wales now as well. That didn't quite pan off. But look, when in doubt, I thought it was a, you, you back the home team. And, and and I thought there was enough doubt in this game to think, okay, well, you know, it can go either way. Yeah, I, I truly was surprised. I think firstly, Tal- Talupe Falatao deserves huge mention. I think he practically carried Wales to victory in that test. Really phenomenal. He was catching balls at his feet, pinching them out of the air, putting in hard hits. Got man of the match. Yeah, he was super impressive for Wales. And I thought George North actually also performed quite well at number 13. It seems to be an experiment that's slowly starting to to pay dividends for, for the Welsh side and Wayne Bivak. Louis Rees-Samitz playing 15. Yeah, that's another one. Hey, they're missing Lee Halfpenny, yeah. that's for sure. He was a fullback that I've always enjoyed watching play. Romania, Uruguay, 13 16 final score. Bit of an upset, I believe. Yeah, I mean, with these these games, it really can go any, any way. I don't think many of us get the opportunity to watch these teams too consistently. So it's quite hard to pick, you know, on form and, and all of that. But very close game, three points in it. What What can you say? Yeah, look. Uruguay had uh, strung together a couple of good performances in the last World Cup. I mean, they definitely announced themselves, okay, could they rank 20th or whatever the case was at the time, but they didn't step back like some of the inner nations do sometimes. So uh, Uruguay, I felt, had a good, good World Cup in 2019, and I think my buddy Squidge agrees with me. So for me, they came along and, you know, they... They played well against Romania and they got the deserved W. Um, I just felt that uh, Romania, based on the previous week's performance, uh, yeah, they were going to take it. But again, I mean, we don't like you say, we don't watch these games too often. So for us to really comment, it's like shooting in the dark, right? Yeah, it is a bit of a challenge. And then we saw the Barbarians beat the All Blacks team 35-31. That was uh, yeah, another, another surprise for the New Zealanders. Because while that was going on, they were staring down the barrel of a Scottish defeat. Unfortunately, that wasn't to be. The All Blacks coming up 31-23 points victor over Scotland. That was an incredible fixture. Darcy Graham is an animal. Finn Russell? Yeah, actually, that's a talking point, Ronnie. What did you think? Did he Was he worth the recall? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you can't always play these, these players week in, week out, starting lineup. You know, sometimes you do need to drop them. You do need to test some other players in certain positions. But look. Bringing Finn Russell back, I just thought injected that 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 sort of energy that the Scottish needed against the All Blacks, and they were in it up until what the 65th minute, right? And we spoke about this right before the podcast started. Scotland's been in that position quite a number of times, and I think a large contribution was was due was down to Mr. Finn himself. Yeah, I think Finn definitely put in a commanding performance. Obviously, his exclusion wasn't for rest. There's a bit of a rift there between him and and the head coach. Hopefully, that's a thing of the past now because I really do believe he showed some of his worth today. I thought uh, Richie Gray had a good performance, but Darcy Graham out wide on the wing for me is super impressive. Uh, Hoggy also led well from the back. 
And Duan van der Merwe, what a powerful runner that Duan, man is, eh? Duan played really well, right? So a couple of couple of big, big carries by by the big winger himself. All that South African Karen Beef over the many years, you know, doing its bit to help him against All Blacks. Yeah, and then also worth mentioning, Mark Talia, he got two tries on his debut for the All Blacks. He could have played for South Africa. He's got South African heritage. So He's now lost us. He's joined the All Blacks ranks. But yeah, good showing from him on his first outing. I thought TJ Perinara was pretty poor when he came on for Finley Christie. He's slowly slipping down the ranks. I think we've seen a similar thing with Herschel Yankees. Just not up to the standards that we've come to expect from players like this in the past. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Yeah, and then, I mean, you looked at it. It was 14-0 to the All Blacks at six minutes. Then the, either 20 minutes either side of halftime. Scotland come, scored 20 unanswered points in lead 2014. It's just a pity they couldn't hold on to that victory. It would have been really nice for the Murrayfield crowd. They really got behind their side. I think I think what sets the All Blacks apart from other teams is they don't panic, right? So I had a look at today's game, and, and I know you mentioned TJ, and you're not a big fan of him at the moment, but I just felt that he was calm. He stayed calm in between plays when there were breaks in plays and, and – uh, and he, that that's that's the All Blacks' nature. Is they remain calm. They remain. They stay calm and they think clearly. And uh, uh, that's I think what often results in that that win in the last twenty minutes or last fifteen minutes of a game. So you know, unfortunate for Scotland. I would have liked to have seen uh, a bit of an upset there because that would have been an upset. Uh, this morning I did say that there's no way it could happen. Almost eight by words. Yeah, it was was very very close at one point, but ultimately All Blacks winning that one. And then, Ronnie, we have the big talking point from this weekend. Springboks versus Les Blues in France, playing that game in Marseille, the start of Velodrome. Springboks not getting the result in that one. Hey, Ronald, what did you make of the game? Uh, it had everything, right, as a test match. for It had everything. It had red cards, multiple red cards. It had a yellow card. It had dominant performances, uh, periods of play by both both teams. Uh, a great kicking display for from both teams. Uh, we had world-class players on either side were matched up against one another. We had incredible uh, physical forwards playing against one another. Um, I know last week we said that the two best front rows were playing against one, one another, but I think uh, this week we had the two best packs playing against one another. I mean, arguably. I know some people will probably say that. How can you say that? What about the All Blacks? What about some of the other teams? What about England forward packs? I don't know. I've just felt that uh, we had some great matchups. It was a very exciting game. I felt, you know, I jumped up quite a bit off the couch, got very excited in the game. Got a little bit heated, of course. There's some controversy. We will get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, I think, like you say, I have to agree. It was two of the best packs in the world going toe-to-toe. It really was a physical contest. The guys really getting stuck into one another there. I think we have to have to mention the fact that Cheslin Colby uh, managed to bounce Jelanch. That was unbelievable. A winger of his size bouncing a flanker. That was something unreal to watch. But again, the box kicking performance much improved. I mean, we got 100% conversion rate, which was impressive. Cheslin Colby stepping up, then Faf de Klerk, and then Damien Willemse. So all three getting the points. And that's something that they were heavily criticized for last week. So how do you? why do you think there was a turnaround in the kicking performance? What do you think happened between last week and this week? Well, obviously, there was a lot of kicking practice, but I don't know how if that can give you enough of an effect in such a short space of time to to change the performance like this. Look, I think I think kicking is largely a mental game, right? So as a backline player, you've kicked balls just 
you know, in general play, general practice for fun. So you you know how to kick. And uh, I think just practicing and getting that con- those consistent, slowing those co- those kicks consistently, that just adds to the mental aspect of it. I mean, you come up into a test match, you've just done it the week before, it's fresh in your mind uh, and you're confident in yourself. And that adds, that that, that will bode well for, for kick success. Yeah, well, they certainly got it right, whatever it was that they did. It was really impressive. And, you know, that... For both not, teams, right? For both teams, for sure. And that is something we can't criticize about in this game. So we've mentioned there was some controversy in the games. So we talk straight about that early, early red card for Peter Steff to toy. I know before kickoff, we sat here and we said, you know, that's the one thing that we don't want. And boom, it happened. And it happened to a flank that was actually performing pretty well up to that point. I got a couple of things to say about it. Firstly, you can't discount the learnings that the guys took out from a game where they lost a player so early on. I mean, when did they lose him? 11th minute? Yeah. 15th minute? It was really early in the first half, right? And then being 14 men down for 70 minutes, 65 minutes of the game, it's it's tough. And you take a lot of learnings from that as a team. It usually galvanizes a team as well. I think Shimmy said that as, as commentator yesterday. There'll be learnings. There'll be a, a certain level of confidence that, that comes from that performance. That's point number one. Point number two, specifically talking about the uh, red card itself, I thought that there was enough of mitigation to to warrant a yellow instead of a red. I felt that there was there was no malicious intent or no, no it wasn't a deliberate a deliberate attempt by by Peter Steff to for for head on head collision. I think he was stumbling, he was standing up, and I can't remember if it was Quaja or it was Franco Mostert that kind of grabbed him and hit him and pushed him into into the ruck, right? And he obviously went in with all his force, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just I obviously don't know the rules well enough to be able to say that that should have been a red card. I firmly believe that that should have been a yellow. But look. Look, I have to agree, we, we, disagree with you. So I have to disagree with you so badly there, Ronnie. That was a horrible knock to the head of... It really, really was massive. Yes, I do agree it wasn't intentional, but it was contact to the face of a player. And that is a red card any day of the week. Right call by the referee, hugely disappointing. But I think it's also worth mentioning that that was definitely not intentional from Peter Steftatoy. He's not a dirty player. And in fact, that's his first ever card in international rugby. So, so what you're saying is red card, but no sanction post-match. I think he's probably going to get two weeks for this. But I do agree. If I said it before in previous episodes that, okay, you give a card on the field, but the mitigation should come in later when you look at sentencing. Because that's when you can say, you know what? Yes, he did it. He was sanctioned on the field, but it wasn't intentional. It wasn't malicious. He doesn't deserve further sanction. It's The sanction must only come into effect when you really need to, to do something to change a player's behavior. This was an accident. This was a nice, and he was distraught, right? We saw how he mm-hmm. sat there with his hands and his his head in his hands, and it looked like he was close to tears. So I felt very sorry for him, and I'm surprised that you're saying it's his first card in the international yeah. rugby, and that's that speaks to his character, right? I, I don't think I think uh, he wishes he could take it back, and who knows if we had him on the field for the rest of the game, we could have come away with the W. I would be quite confident to say we would have come away with the W. Because France dominated us, or, or we had to work really, really hard to prevent the French from dominating us so much physically. Yeah, we 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 spoke about it. Our rucks were disjointed at that point because we just we were missing a person in either in the carrying pods or in the racking. There was always one man short. 
Yeah, and I think more than just the fact that we struggled in the forwards, I think losing Peter Steff also brought about a shift in tactics. Because up until that point, we'd actually been running the ball quite nicely. And now we needed to sort of restructure how we spread across the field to cater for that. So I think that was also another downside of it. But then we go over to the second red card of the game, Antoine Dupont. He gets carded for taking Cheslin out in the air. That was horrible contact in the air. Also a definite red card. No, not much debate around it from my side. But also a crucial player for France to have lost in that fixture. Crucial player, of course, and red card. I agree. We've seen it time and time again where, you know, that sort of offense is just an immediate red straight off the field. You know, maybe there was also nothing malicious in that. Of course, I don't think any 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 time it's ever malicious, really. Very, very rarely. Yeah, so Wayne Barnes made the right call with that one. And then over to the yellow card for Dion Ferry. There's been some talk around this that uh, the hooker had left the, the mall and he was free from the mall, so the tackle from Ferry was fair. The ref not seeing it that way, saying he was still attached and Ferry bringing the mall down intentionally. And obviously, he's now penalized and yellow carded for an accumulation of penalties that the box had made in their 22 whilst under pressure. It obviously happens at a very, very terrible time, right? So 10 minutes to play, it was still go. The result could go either way. You know, both teams fought down to 14 men. And then we just unfortunately had to finish off the game with uh, with 13 men, right? And, and I do agree. I actually, I watched that and I saw that the hooker wasn't bound by a shoulder. It looked like he had broken free, but as a layman, I wasn't confident enough to actually say something about that. I just felt, uh, yeah, what do I actually know? But yeah, look, I think we're going to talk about this, right? So we're going to talk about some of these questionable calls that that Rassi seems to be. Yeah, we will. Raising. We will definitely chat about that and get to that. I think something else we spoke around around mall time last night was how frustrating the the laws are at the moment that a player need only be bound by their hand, and then they can essentially swim around the mall and make swim yeah and, and interfere with the ball carrier whereas previously you used to have to be attached up to your shoulder you know so that's allowing a little bit of leeway and the box have not yet managed to actually find a way around that because it really is causing disruption for our malls at the moment i think the malls are that your sort of modern day scrums right so there's this this massive gray area with that's very difficult to enforce and uh, as a referee and 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 you know essentially referee right it's very difficult to see what's exactly happening because there's so many bodies in the way there's so many things that are happening people can easily trip and fall over another player and the binding breaks and it's it's chaos really so we possibly need to look at ways of improving our refereeing around them all yeah we need to get a little bit innovative there the tmo malfunction that happened the try scored by france looked like there was a possible double movement there angus gardner then losing contact with the tmo not able to to find out what's going on and the try stood. So that was a little bit of a, a controversial controversial moment from the officials. Well, anybody that spent any time watching YouTube videos of Nigel Owens will will recall a specific video where Nigel actually speaks to the TMO using an iPhone. Why could they not organize something like that? I mean, surely there was enough, uh, you know, the replay was there. It looked like a double movement. Maybe just go up to the TMO, use what's what's at your disposal. Yes, we've lost comms, through the official mechanism, but there's a lot of cell phones in the area and there's some fit people that can run up to the TMO box, I'm sure. So no, I just pause and, and, and check it out properly. You definitely make a point. Sorry, I must also, I misspoke there. It was uh, Wayne Barnes, not Angus Gardner. 
you know, a disappointing one in that instance that it didn't get looked at. Because also us as as fans, you know, we couldn't really make a call without seeing what was going on either. It wasn't played on the the TV screens. But this is actually something I want to talk about because this is also something that influences the outcome of the game. And it's the guys that manage the big screens in the stadium because they get to pick and choose what gets played on that screen and what the ref picks up on. We saw it last week in the game against Ireland where the knock-on was not shown on the big screen and then it never came to the ref's attention. And then they show, you know, indiscretions of the other side. And then again, it happens in France now where you're seeing, you know, selectively placing what's put on the big screen. Something that needs to be managed or is that just an advantage you get of being the home team? I suppose that is a little bit that adds a little bit to the home field advantage. And I have no doubt that, look, if you, if anybody here is a cricket fan, they'll remember Sandpaper Gate. And that was all that all when Australia was using Sandpaper to scuff up the cricket ball. And that, that, that was, you know, that, that came about because Supersport cameramen identified that uh, with their brilliant camera work. So home field advantage, right? You're going to, you're going to try to look for mistakes from the opposition is a little bit unfortunate, but there's nothing really we can do about that. No, and I mean, the TV screens in a stadium not compulsory to have them in the first place, and they're not a part of the official match day setup, so technically not used for that, but it does play an influence, and it does guide the referee to an extent. Even the players look up to see what's going on on those TVs, so a bit of an interesting one there. You know, we then also struggled quite a bit at, li- at line-out time. You know, Lurt Diacher, he was definitely missed in this fixture. And then obviously the loss of Peter Steff to Toy made us lose a jumper. So we ended up only actually having line-out options in Sos and Yerbin. And Kwaka and and jumping at the back. Kwaka jumping at a six ball, which, you know, a couple of those balls didn't go to hand, right? So they, you know, we lost the lineouts there. And do we blame Bongi for that? I don't know. Maybe his throwing is not up to scratch. Uh, or was it a case of Kwaka not being yeah as proficient a jumper as as some of like like you mentioned peter steff or or Lurt. you know i think it was definitely a, a malfunction for the jumping at the back of the lineup because we saw france exploited as well how many of their lineouts did they throw in past the 15 meter line because they knew they could get it over that space you know and when you launch a line out that far it really gives your back line a platform to to set up an attack from on the front foot so that that's something that needs to be addressed Maybe Ruan or so, after his performance against Munster should get a call up. So obviously we just spoke about the lineup being a little bit of shambles after, you know, Lewitt, losing Lewitt and then also Peter Steff in the game. But I just want to also mention the fact that, that South Africa strayed a little bit from uh, its traditional gameplay, right? So we saw, you mentioned it in the beginning, we saw some running rugby by the Springboks. What do you think about that? Don't you believe that was a little exciting to, to see for a change? It definitely was great to see the change of tactics. You actually said that we should watch out for that ahead of kickoff. And it was excellent to see, but you're still watching guys a little bit hesitant on those lines and and the ball's not just sticking right. And I think that's because we don't practice this enough in match situations. We need to start including it more regularly into our setup. I'm not saying we must run every ball ridiculously, but let's show a little bit of variation because we've proven time and again that we can actually run the ball. We proved it last night, right? We proved it yesterday against against France that some running rugby we can get away with it. It's a little bit of a little cross kick here and there if it comes off comes off well, and in some cases it didn't come off perfectly, but it still set us up, and it it still it still asks questions of of your wide wide defensive patterns uh, for, from the opposition. 
yeah, and teams are not expecting us to exert that sort of pressure on them. So it really does give us an advantage when we do use it. So, Ronnie, all this said and done about this test, where does it leave us ahead of the World Cup? Possible quarterfinal coming against France. Possible quarterfinal coming against France, and we spoke about this yesterday. You feel that we're going to top our pool against Ireland. Is that so? Is that correct? Let's just get that out of the way. And do you feel that uh, the All Blacks are going to beat France? No, France are going to beat the All Blacks. So we would we would essentially beat the All Black uh, the the French in the final. Then is that what you're saying? Correct. Yes. I I would just I'd say we'd meet them earlier. But anyways, I would not be too concerned, right? So it's a year out. We did some experimentation. We know that Rossi works according to World Cup uh, competitions. He's not too concerned with what happens in the middle. We, we were well tested against the French yesterday, and. Um, I, I feel I feel confident that we've got a plan. I trust in Russie and I trust in Jacques. Let me put it that way. Blindly, I might be stupid for doing so, but I trust in them. So on the topic of Jacques and Russie, or more particularly on the topic of Russie, so he's gone out on Twitter. He's made a number of posts this week, which we or this morning, which we will discuss. But I've been taking quite a lot of flack for speaking out about it, saying, you know, I wish this would stop now. I'm over it. Russie's doing us no favors. Yeah, guys of time have taken well to that, others have not. Obviously, Rossi's a cult hero in South Africa, having delivered us the World Cup. So I must just start out before we have this debate saying his conduct on Twitter is separate from his coaching acumen. We all know Rossi's a bloody brilliant coach. I want to discuss his tactics in dealing with the match officials with you, Ronnie. So why don't you let us have your thoughts on, on Rossi today? No, before we go down this road, can we just we just get this out of the way? Because he's he's he has very specific choice words and ways of saying things. Are we agreeing that he is having a dig at the referees? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Okay, so he is becoming a bit of a sarcastic uh, ass but in his yes. postings. Let, let's go with that terminology. I, I look. I I think he's he's. I think he's a genius. I think it's uh, there's more to it than just being a coach in the field, and he's taken it uh, outside of the locker room behind the scenes he's fighting the fight you know he's he's taking all the attention off of his players we've said it before it's chestnut checkers world rugby's looking at uh, or the world is looking at rassi rather than at uh, his individual players and it's not hurting his players for the world to look at him instead i disagree with you already on that point because our players are under heavy scrutiny by the match officials already prior to anything rassi did and all we've done now is say, well, hey, we're going to chirp you after every match. So focus on us, pay a little more attention to what we're doing and make sure you're nailing us for all the calls you need to nail us for. We're, we're drawing attention to ourselves that we really don't need. And we're not doing it in a smart way. One or two of them was funny. But in all honesty, every tweet Rossi puts out make me doubt his innocence in that leaking of the video about Nick Berry. Yeah, I, I actually do agree with you there. There was a part of me that's always wondered, you know, Rossi, Rossi knew what he was doing and he knew that if he sent it to the right person, the right group, uh, that it would get leaked and um, he'd have some sort of defense. But still, I think that uh, it's necessary to call out World Rugby and to highlight to World Rugby that there are absolute clear shortcomings in the officiating of of first class test uh, first class rugby matches okay so let me ask you then ronnie is rassi calling out officiating or is rassi saying the springboks are being picked on 
he's calling out officiating and i think it's and and i was sitting here this afternoon trying to trying to rationalize what you know trying to put myself in Rossi's shoes and see what he's doing. The reality is that after every game, he's he's diving in depth into, into the Springbok game. He's not diving in depth into other games, other teams, as much as he is for the Springboks. And rightfully so. He's got to check how his team is playing. He's got to do in-depth analysis to report back to his team in terms of what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And that's that's why that's why the Springboks are form the majority of 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 his posts because you know he's just naturally going through their their videos no, uh, but more see, in depth. You see, I have to disagree with you again because if Rassi wanted to take on World Rugby and say, you know what, there's a problem with your officiating, then show all the mistakes in the game. Show where the Springboks got things wrong and and the ref didn't penalize us. Show when France got it wrong. Show it in a whole view. You can't say now. His coaching duties and analysis of the Springbok game is getting in the way of him making his point to world rugby. If those are two things he wants to do, equal effort must be given to both of them. Right now, he's complaining and saying that South Africa is actively being picked on by the referees because he is only showing one side of it. But again, you know, I've definitely heard you over the years say, oh, the referees hate South Africa. I mean, how many times over the years have we said the 50-50 calls never go our way? And it, it stems, it goes as far back as Bucky's Puerto with his bloody head, but that uh, that created this 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 idea that the Springboks are dirty players. So the refs have always been officiating harshly against Springboks, and arguably, right? So I'm not saying that is the case, but it it, it that seems to be the trend, right? We've always had calls go against us, and this okay. isn't new. Um, and he, what he's saying is, listen, guys. I don't mind if you if you if you call us out on on what we're doing, but then we need we need the same sort of scrutiny on on other other on other on our on our opponents. And I think that's that's what he's attempting to do. And maybe he's maybe he's not doing so successfully. Maybe he's going about it the wrong way. But no. we've complained for years and years and years and years, and nobody's done anything about it. Now finally, we've got somebody that's doing something about it. And now suddenly we're saying, okay, whoa, whoa, maybe it's a little bit too much. Stop pointing out the inconsistencies in officiating against Springbok teams. No, because he's not doing something about it. Just answer this, yes or no. Are we more likely to get 50-50 calls or less likely after today's four tweets from Rassi? More likely. More likely. How, 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 how can you justify if, if we, that? Because if we blatantly get calls going against us going forward, less 50-50 calls going against us, that's clear and obvious uh, bias against the Springboks and World Rugby will not allow that. But what does it matter? I mean, if, that, if that You're already saying that that's the position, that we've got a clear bias against us. You've just said it's gone for years. And if World Rugby's allowed it, what does Rusty's video help then? If not to point more attention at us from the match officials. But why would it appoint more attention to us? Don't you think that a referee would say, oh, well, I've got a Springbok game coming up. I've got to play, make bloody well sure that I'm on the top of my game because I'm going to get called. I'm going to get hauled across the coals if I don't do a good job. Okay, but has that happened since the Nick Berry video? Has there been one game that the Springboks yes, haven't yes. complained about the ref? No, listen, we saw incredibly good officiating in the second British and Irish Lions test match. Ben O'Keefe was fair in his assessment of 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 uh, of calls, and he and he largely got them right. And I'm not saying there's not going to be mistakes and stuff because it is the nature of officiating. There's so much to look out for, but you cannot say that oh now suddenly we're going to penalise the Springboks more. Because and we, and and I'm going to penalize them more. I'm going to give them less 50-50 calls because uh, if I do that, Rassi's not going to make a video. 
if 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 um if I'm giving South Africa what they do, if I'm giving half the 50-50s to them, then you know what, uh, Rossi's going to shut up. Maybe he is in for, maybe it's incorrect to be influencing the referees like that. But we also we also have to hold them to account, and no one is holding them to account. World Rugby is not holding them to account. No one is doing anything about it, and we're fed up. We no, are but you see, we're, in South Africa, we say we're gutful. You are completely mistaken in your view on this, Ronnie, because if we want to stand up to the match officials, take a full stance. Don't just show Springbok footage and say, this is what's happening. This is how you're blowing us unfairly. Take a proper stand, put a 60-minute video together, but of all the teams and all the stuff-ups. Stop this nonsense now, where it's the Springboks complaining week in, week out, and just making us look like a bunch of whiners. It really is painting us badly in World Rugby's eyes. And I can guarantee you, in 2019, the Springboks were supported by lots of people in those stadiums when we were the neutral side that they were there for. I can guarantee you that's not going to be the case in France. We aren't wingers. Rossi is a winger. And that's and he's falling on his sword for us as fans, as Springbok players, as everyone, because everyone's looking at Rossi being the guy that is winging and complaining. Nobody's looking at South African supporters. Yes, you can go read the comments. Yes, you go and see people very brave on the internet, either agreeing with him or disagreeing or picking fights on the internet. But the reality is in the official space, People are looking at Rassi. They're not looking at our individual players. They're not looking at Sia Kulisi screaming and whinging and crying on the field. They're looking at Rassi post-match. But you don't know what goes on with these officials behind closed doors. Their little WhatsApp group, they do not appreciate the attacks, the constant attacks from Rassi. And I'm sorry, to me, the whole look look of it is that Rassi is like that soccer player that runs up and screams in the ref's face now. And that's not what rugby's about. That's not our values. If he's now decided, let's make a stand, then make a proper stand, do a proper video, and do it across the board. This thing of selectively Look, picking out Springbok footage is getting us nowhere. And I, I said it now already. I agree he might be going about it the wrong way, but at least he's doing something. We can just not do anything about it and just continue this narrative of, yeah, well, we've always got the Springboks. Uh, the Springboks are always playing against 16 men on the field. And yeah, thanks, Bucky's Buerta, for being that guy that something that does that need us. to be done about it, for sure. Something absolutely needs to be done about it. But I do not agree with the method that's being employed at the moment. I think it really does not paint us in a good light. I think we can agree on that. Something needs to get done about it. And in my opinion, doing something about it the way Rassi is, is better than doing nothing about it. So I suppose we can agree on the fact that something needs to get done, the actual method. Maybe we can disagree on that. But look, he's pointing things out that are blatant and obvious. He is doing it a bit tongue-in-cheek, and he is being a little bit sarcastic about it. But yeah, he's obviously can't say certain things, and he is operating in that gray area. He's pushing his luck. He's pushing his boundaries, and people are people are talking about it, right? So everyone is talking about it. The whole world. It's all over. It's all of all over your competitors' uh, social media platforms. It's everywhere to see. And World Rugby has no choice but to take notice of it. And hopefully they take notice of it before it unravels to get to the point where it's completely out of hand. And, and it is heading towards that, right? So I agree with you. It is heading towards out of hand. I think World Rugby is going to stand up and take notice of this, but not in the way you're expecting them to. Do not be surprised if another disciplinary hearing heads Rassi's way very soon. Don't be surprised. Another sanction Another sanction against Rassi. Yep, for the method that he's doing it. Not for the, the, the result he's trying to achieve, but for the method he is doing it in. Nothing stops Rossi getting Eddie Jones and these other coaches saying, you know what, 
you guys sit for an hour, make your video. My video will compile this all together and go for a meeting sure. with, with World Rugby. Nothing stops that. And saying to, to the public, you know, if this is what we're going to have a meeting with World Rugby or request that the meeting be live broadcast, that this conversation is aired. But the way it's But how do you know on, that hasn't happened? Well, we don't. How do you know Rossi hasn't been dismissed? We don't. How do you know Rossi hasn't made a formal plea or formal application to do exactly that, to get a group of coaches together? And the other coaches are saying, no, 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 please, we don't want to get involved in this. And Rossi's not anyone with guts that's saying, you know what, I'm actually going to make something. No one but, wants to do anything about this. I'm going to the streets. I'm going to go protest in the streets. But if he wants to be outspoken, and this is the method he's chosen because of that, then why not tell us? Why not take us into his confidence and say, you know what, I tried to do this the right way. I'm going to fall on my sword now, but this is why, because they refuse to change. Okay, he can say that, sure. But uh, you're, a, you're a legal man with a legal background. Do you think that some of those conversations can be shared with the general public? Do you not think that some of them are confidential? I think any meeting may have been, but no request for a meeting is ever confidential. That would be completely pointless. But anyway, I think we've ranted on about Rossi long enough, and it's definitely a debate that's divided the internet today. I don't know how many more videos we can be expecting still. There's, I think, what, four out at the moment. So instead... he's got another 56 to go to get all 60 videos out. <laughs> yeah, 60 minutes, eh? But let's take a look then at the upcoming game. So this week, Ronnie's unavailable to record on our normal date. He's off on golfing tour with Luke Watson and Ashwin Willemser this week. So... <laughs> <laughs> so let's, my coffee there. let's take a look at the springbok team that we would like to see face italy you know i i do hope that there will be some changes to the personnel just to to experiment a little bit for me i'd love to see kubis reinach get a start at nine with marnie lubok at 10 and Damian Willems at 12 i think that could be quite a nice attacking 9 10 12 combo um, I agree with you there before you carry on i just i do agree with you i was thinking today i'd like to see lubok on and I'd like to see Kovac Reinach there as well. I was hoping to find a way to put D Damien Delende to rest his legs a little bit uh, because he's playing a lot of rugby at the moment. And that's somebody that we absolutely need to protect. And uh, I didn't quite think of putting Willems uh, at 12, but uh, yeah, it might not be the worst option. Yeah, that could that could be an interesting one to see. And then obviously we're, we're likely to be without Peter Steff to toy. I'm pretty sure he's going to get a, at least a one or two week ban out of this. So we'll need to make a change there. Quacha probably coming in to start on the side. I don't know. Who else would you change in the team? There's not many others. I might do some rotation in the front row. But I mean, there's anyone can start there. So where's Evan Riss? Have we, is, yeah, is actually, he in contention sorry, to play go. against Italy? There we yeah, go. Evan Riss is absolutely Evan. someone. I mean, we both want to see him there, right? So he's sitting in the stands uh, against watching the French game. But it would, have been, it would be nice to see him get a run against Italy I think it's the perfect opportunity for him to get his uh, get his shot and and see what he can do I'd like to see Quacha run on again so I don't know can we make a, can we make a plan getting Ivan Riss and Quacha on the uh, trio together with with I don't know I suppose Sia Kulisi right is that is that something that 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 we could see yeah I don't see why Ivan couldn't come in at uh, open side very similar build and athleticism to Peter Steff to toy so I don't see why that would be a problem Maybe even a little bit of a rest for Sia come off the bench, started Dion Faree. Yeah, the, other than that, maybe actually Damien Valencia should shift to fullback and let Andre Esterhazen get a start in that 12 jersey. Correct. But I'm actually quite eager J to see Marnie and Damien Valencia link up at 10 12. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I would prefer to see uh, Damien Phillips at 12. Um, and at 15, we can we can try to see with some of our, our, our back threes again. You know, we've got Kirtley, Orance, uh, we've got Jason Colby. We've got a couple of dynamic players that maybe they can play 15. Maybe we just played Vili there because he hasn't played 15 now for a couple of games. Yeah, so I think so yesterday. Other than that, I can't foresee the box making too many changes. Obviously, Italy did beat the Wallabies, so you can't experiment too much there and risk a, risk a loss against the Italians. Front rows will be stock standard, though. We can choose from one of uh, 4,000 front rows that we have uh, in the lineup. So, you know, we don't really have a problem there with some of our locks. We can maybe see Marvin Ori shifting in there, getting a run as well as starting, or maybe getting a little bit more game time. I think uh, with, with Peter Steff going off against uh, in the France, in the game against France, you know, we had to very cleverly about how we were going to save energy and save legs and um and marvin ori i don't think got enough game time he possibly needs a little bit more game time if he is in the mix uh we want him we want him uh firing on all cylinders um so maybe not a not the worst game to give him a shot and maybe rest urban in favor of jason jenkins and you've also got salman murat there with the squad so there are a couple of of locks that need to run and then, you know, on the weekend, there's some other big games coming up, three of them in a row, in fact. Scotland hosting Argentina. I think that's going to be a highlight for me. England hosting the All Blacks. That's also going to be a special one. And Ireland hosting the Wallabies. So three great fixtures to look at there outside of Springboks versus Italy. And then obviously we have the SAA versus Bristol game coming up as well. I see Apalele fassi has been ruled out of that. So Sasha Ngomazulu has flown over to Bristol along with Stick. And you know the SAA side obviously having lost 28-14 to Munster in the week. So Ronald, it's that time of the podcast where I get to hear whether you're ranting or raving. What have you got for us this evening? Look, I'm just going to add to the whole Rassi Erasmus uh debacle and text right so we have this officiating and the officiating has has taken center stage in the I, I suppose the last four years i don't know if it was as much in the center stage prior to the 2019 world cup here and there a little bit we've obviously had controversial calls for since this, the inception the conception of the game it's always been there but really in recent years it's taken center stage it's so important and it's what we talk about every bloody week all that we want and and i'll just close off my racy argument all that we want is consistency on the field calls going the way that they should go against us or for us but we want fair calls and world rugby needs absolutely to do something about it whether it is bringing on a second ref during set plays whether it is having a second tmo maybe i don't know what what the story is i don't know how much budget is available to do something like that but at the moment it is like you said it earlier it's dividing it's dividing the rugby nation right and it's turning us against one another and it is it is it's creating a spectacle of what was a, a beautiful game what has always been a beautiful game. We don't want that. We need World Rugby needs to do something. They need a they need to find a way to keep Rassi Erasmus happy. And I think in doing so, <laughs> he'll keep a lot more coaches. Dave Rennie's, uh Michael Checkers, uh Eddie Jones's, they'll all they'll all be a little bit more pleased. Maybe uh someone in the all black camp will, will not be so happy because they seem to have got the 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 rub of the ball far too often. But look, I think uh, I think World Rugby definitely needs to go into some sort of war room and figure out how to fix this. Yeah, I think for me, World Rugby needs to just decide now, are we using technology or are we not? And if we are, then let's use it properly, plain and simple. Not half-assed, let's commit, so, let's get technology involved and let's let's deal with it. So then just a little bit of stat today now. 
it's a bit of a mixed bag here. I'm going to give you some stats about the Springboks and France, just to paint a bit of a clearer picture ahead of the World Cup. The box are three from 11 against the top five, New Zealand, Australia, England, Ireland, France. We've won three of our 11 fixtures against them since 2019 World Cup. That's a bit of a humbling uh, statistic there. That's only a 27% win rate against top tier opposition, which is a little bit disappointing. Okay. And then on the flip side, you look at France. Since 2019, France have now, as of last night, beaten every single team in the top 10. And to top that off, legendary. France have one fixture left this year. That's Japan next weekend. If they win that, then they're on an undefeated year. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, you know know what? It is a little bit disappointing that our performance against top tier nations hasn't been what it was. I think your time frame, what was your time frame since the 2019 World Cup? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I saw saw one of our competitors, uh, they posted 46%, but I think that might have been in the last year. And it's disappointing to see. And look... We they asked the question correctly. Is this really what we want from our coaches? Are we satisfied with only performing in World Cup years? Do we also want to see a couple of wins in the middle or some dominant performances in the middle? Yeah, I suppose each coach has their strategy. But yeah, France, fantastic. To beat every team in the top 10, that's a statement to make. You know, going into the World Cup, we can beat anyone. Yeah, France, and they've literally shown they can beat anyone. Plus, they've got the comfort of a home World Cup coming up. So very, very well done to Les Blues. Unfortunately, a loss for the Springboks, but ultimately a much improved performance from that against Ireland. So you guys can catch us back here next week. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review on your preferred listening platform and send us to your mates, guys. We really appreciate all the support. Catch you back here next week.